1: Well, I think we've decanted
0: for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel.
2: Yes, welcome back to my favourite part of the week. It's another episode of Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Geel, and of course, Arnold Schwarzer. How are we, Arnold, this week? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Uh, I'm getting used to you calling me Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, yeah, just Arnold just suits.
1: Um, yeah, and, and fair enough. I can see the resemblance. Absolutely. Not now, um, at the moment, but when he
2: was younger, of because, course. Wait, what, when you were <laughs> younger or when he was younger? Uh, both, both. Yeah, yeah. That's the, yeah, that's the situation isn't it Hey, uh, this week on the Two Sharp Reds We'll be trying uh, you know, what should be one of my favourite wines But uh, you sent me a photo the other day That you were, you were thinking of me while you were having this bottle Of Bob Burton's Barbarian Australian Shiraz and Merlot
1: Yes, and I've got another bottle, can you believe it? Unbelievable, it's so this like is you. my second bottle Yeah, I know, yeah, I normally do get them in pairs um, Australian Shiraz Merlot, how does that work? Um, it works actually really well so and and I did send you a picture and said I was thinking of you you took it a little bit more extreme than me just meaning about drinking a bottle of red wine and thought the wine was good for you you thought it was a little bit more in depth which was was a bit weird well my answer was Um, you know
2: don't say that when your wife's in the room that's all I was getting at yeah but that was way too late because I already said it when there she was there and
1: she, she had a chuckle. She's, listen, she's, she's secure, mate. She understands. And she doesn't well, think back it Well, beg to work, differ.
2: Right. Let's, uh, let's move on here on the Two Sharp Reds. And, Mark, it's always your job to welcome the guests when we have them. So the floor is yours, Mark.
1: Yeah, again, um, we, listen, we've been so um, lucky during lockdown. We've had so many amazing guests on. And this time round we've got an Australian involved, a Socceroo, Fellow goalkeeper. Uh, well, I was a goalkeeper, as we, as some of you may know. Uh, Mitch is still a, a goalkeeper. Mitch Langerak played at Dortmund, Stuttgart in Germany, uh, and finally he ends up in, of all places, Japan, and seemingly found has found his home. Is that fair to say, Mitch?
0: It's fair to say it's a, um, a bit of an interesting little journey to get here, but uh, things are going really well, and I'm happy to be here.
1: I mean, it must be. I mean, culturally, it's huge, isn't it? I mean, firstly, you make the move from from Melbourne um, when you weren't really quite a regular, and you go to Germany and you go to a massive, massive club, which has a bit of a history of bringing in Australian players. Ned Zlech, obviously, the most most well known one. Um, But for you, that must have been an incredible moment.
0: Definitely. I think leaving uh, Australia to go to Germany. Um, at such a young age, I think uh, I'd only played 15 or 20 games in A-League before I went to Germany. Massive, massive change. I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, didn't speak the language. Didn't know um, much about the, the history of German football and really the size of things. Um, and it was it was a massive eye opener to go there at 21 and and sort of learn from uh, so many good players at such a big club. It was it was really um, something else.
1: What Out of that experience, is there something that you still carry from that moment, that first experience of going to Germany? I mean, I've got I've got memories of when I went first to Germany, and I know there's clear things that happened in my life at that time that have always stuck with me and made me stronger. What, what has it been for you? Has there been anything like that?
0: Yeah, it's difficult off the top of my head, uh, sort of certain situations, but obviously just going there and, and sort of walking into an environment where, uh, you know, with Jürgen Klopp, up and coming young German coach at that time, he was huge already. I, I didn't know the guy. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know anything about the history of the club of, of Dortmund. I didn't know it was one of the biggest there. I sort of just went in, uh, you know, as a kid, um, and and took it all on board as it come. Uh, uh, it was a bit. I think it was probably good that I went in there a little bit naive, because if I didn't, I would have been like a bit stressed out or a bit nervous or, or whatnot. So I went in there just hoping to do as well as I could and. Um, look, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but it was it, was, it shaped me as the player I am today.
2: Uh, here are the two-shot Reds, it's obviously from my perspective. It's really great chatting to Mark about life um, as a number one uh, goalkeeper, choice goalkeeper, and and you know the pressures that that takes to maintain that spot. I, but I'd be fascinated to know from your perspective. How you kind of sum that experience up as a, a young goalie, you know, in such a big club, such a big league, but, you know, being in a number two position and essentially just being ready, you know, to make sure that when you get your opportunity that you you, you perform the best you can?
0: Yeah, well, like I said, it's it, going over at a young age, I was more than happy to go as the number two to, to Borussia Dortmund. That's that's the, in a sense, that's the dream scenario. You go in there, you don't have the pressure to perform every week. You can go in there, practice, learning the language, learning everything about it obviously working on myself um i was raw i was proper raw when i went over there so um looking back now what i know about not only football but about goalkeeping um it, it was it was probably better to go in like that and not have that st- stress of, of playing to be fair in my head i was thinking oh i'm two games away or, or maybe he's going to get an injury and, and i'm going to come in and play and, and that was my mentality so i was working every thursday friday you, you know the number one is going to play but you think hang on you know, I've had a good week here, maybe, maybe I'm going to get a chance. And and that was the best thing for me because I was always, I guess, naively thinking I was had a chance um, to play that weekend. And then obviously I picked up my games, picked up um, a little spell of games here and there, and then with an injury you come in and um, mentally it's different when you're younger, as opposed to maybe if you, if you're late twenties or thirties, you want to be playing, you want to be getting those minutes. But as a young guy, that's for me, it was the, the dream scenario.
1: Were, did you feel the pressure to, to perform? Did you feel like you went in there and you had a point to, point to prove because you're Australian and they thought, who's this Australian guy? Is he any good? Can there be a good goalkeeper out of Australia? I mean, I, I know there's been a bit of a history, but I mean, when I went there, I, I, I felt like I was bang under pressure and I felt like they actually didn't have the respect for me. Maybe I was just garbage. Maybe that's what it was <laughs> at the beginning. Did you have that experience?
0: Yeah, I, I think it was, it was hard for me because I went in there, I was energetic, I was enthusiastic, I wanted to show that I could play or or at least show what I could do in training and and there was times when even I I was struggling, I was honking in training and you think far out, I wonder what these guys are thinking of me, I wonder what they're saying about me in the change room in German and you're sitting there at the dinner table before a game and you're just looking across and nobody can, you don't understand what's going on. I had to wait, I think, nearly eight or nine months before my first game. So you're sort of sitting on no Bundesliga, no German appearances as a young goalkeeper, a foreigner, um, for such a long time. I was, I was lucky in the sense that the first game was buying away. We hadn't won there for 20 years. Schwarz, I remember you even sent me a message on the morning of the game. Uh, we hadn't even met at that point, but it, it really meant a lot. Um, and, and we won that game. and It was huge. It, was, uh, it more or less shored up the, the Bundesliga for us that, that year. So um, I think from that moment I felt like I belonged. Obviously had a lot to prove still, but from that moment I think uh, I felt like I was a part of the squad and um, definitely I was I was meant to be
2: there. Jeez, you're a nice guy, aren't you, Schwartzy? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Good every now and then. You know, like, yeah, you know <laughs> what?
1: Did, 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 um So before that game, go back to that game. Um, you, you've obviously receiving messages from people, family, friends, ex-teammates, and so forth. Uh, what did Jurgen Klopp say to you? Uh, well,
0: one fellow went down on a Wednesday, I think it was. And it was like, he's going to play, maybe he's not going to play. Um, so I went in there thinking, yeah, maybe I'll play here. Um, and then I think, I honestly can't remember too much. I remember a couple of the boys spoke to me in the morning and said, look, it's just 90 minutes. You've you've played 90 minutes before. It doesn't matter if it's away in Munich or if it's if it's in Australia or something like that. That sort of calmed me down a little bit. Obviously, I had contact uh, from from yourself and and a few other guys. Um, and and I remember in the team meeting before the game, Klopp just sort of said, "Look, there's going to be 200 countries or everywhere in the world's going to be watching. Um, probably Mitch's mum and dad at 4 a.m. in Australia, and that's about it. So don't worry, just go out there and do your best." And you know, he was he was relaxed. He was always joking, and that really you know carried on to the team.
2: I suppose it's it's fascinating from an outsider's perspective because Jurgen Klopp obviously. A- comes across in the media like the, the, the best person to work under, especially at that age. You know, in particular, when you hear um, people like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and the, half the reason he wanted to go to Liverpool is as a young youngish player, he wanted to be around Jurgen Klopp. So it's interesting to, to kind of hear whether or not he was or he is how he depicts himself, you know, um, in front of cameras.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's He's full power. I mean... Uh, one way I always describe it is he—he he, he seems to be thinking just all the time. He's always on. He's never in in a lull or in a, in, a, in just just having a quiet moment. You can speak to him. He's always fast fast in his head, and and which carries on to the players. I think um, there's a, there's a lot of uh, enjoyment in training. However, it's all 100%. You'll be out there for you know you seventy seventy five minutes of training. Um, it won't be so much. uh oh do this. You move there. You move this. It's Boom Everybody go Go hard And, and that's all he expects um, of, of the players So in that sense he's, he, He'll he put your arm, his, his arm around you If, if you needed it um, He can be strong with players uh, I think It was all It seemed to me It was all about the three points And that was the biggest thing I learned When I went to Germany is, is In Australia Not that it wasn't like that But I was young And I didn't really understand it Going to Germany It was Every player on the bench The support staff When a goal goes in doesn't matter if it's the 90th minute winner or if it's four nil after 20 minutes everybody's up celebrating everybody's celebrating a, a, a three points he's out there hugging everybody and it sort of uh, makes you feel like yeah we're all in this together and we're it's all about the three points
1: so most importantly right i want to know has the tradition continued after a win like that away in bayern were there a couple of crates of beer on the bus on the way home
0: Honestly, uh, that game, I can't remember. It, that, was a, that was an absolute blur for me. I remember after the game, uh, I, I went straight into the, the, the back you know, warm-up area. I'm calling my family back home. It was you know, probably 5 a.m. I honestly can't remember, but it wasn't much long after that. We, we finally won the Bundesliga, so there was, there was a few crates of beer <laughs> on the bus after that for sure.
2: That's why you want to play in Germany. That's the, that's the only real reason. Unless Mark, do they do the same thing but in red wine in like Italy? Because that that could be quite nice. You
1: you know you know they do actually normally have a bottle of wine or two on the table the day before a game. So the night of the game in the hotel, they'll they they will drink a glass or two of red wine. That's that's completely normal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. A couple of stints uh, elsewhere after Dortmund, but uh, it'd be great to fast forward to your time now in Japan. Uh, Okay, I suppose right from the start, what drew you to Japan? I mean, obviously, first-choice keeper, I suppose, would have been a huge thing. But what in particular about about the country, about the league, was, was really enticing?
0: Yeah, well, I, I was in Stuttgart in Germany, and, and I thought there was not going to be a chance I was going to play that coming season. And, and an opportunity came up to go to Levante in, in Spain. Uh, went there, and I was there for only four months. And, and then the, the call came to, to go to Japan. It all happened very fast. I remember speaking with my wife, who I know what Japan is like because i have been here for a few times, but in her mind, she had no idea what, what Japan was like. I'm, I'm, I'm telling her, I'm like, it, it's a beautiful country. The people are nice. Um, it's very, very clean. You, you'll have a great time there. And she's like, yeah, I'm not sure about Japan. I'm like, just what, just wait. Um, Then it, it was very professional the way things were, were handled. I think uh, um, in Spain, they sent out uh, three or four of the club officials to, to, to meet with me directly and, and sort of, tell me on, on on about the club about how things were going to go um, and and what it was like over there obviously from the national team and playing at melbourne victory in the in in the champions league in, in japan i had an idea of what to expect but uh, going out there i was i was more than sure that this was this was the right decision for me and it was it was fantastic from the start you play in front of 40 50 60,000 fans every week it's always full it's got a very uh, Bundesliga feel about it in terms of the stadiums are always full, it's very loud um, the, the fans are very friendly um, but it's, it, it's competitive I think you can look at the um, a lot of the teams and a lot of the players, uh, the foreign players are generally very, very good so me as a keeper um, obviously it's not the Premier League level or Bundesliga but there's, there's massive challenges to be had.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've been very, very busy. I mean, Grandpas 8 have uh, struggled the last couple of seasons um, in the league. They're a huge club. I mean, traditionally a massive club. Um, what do you? How do you see your chances this season once it gets going?
0: Yeah, well, we, we've had a, a new coach come in, uh, an Italian coach. He's he's very good, very disciplined. Um, the, the team we really like him. So um, I'm very confident that we'll have a good season. We started off very well last year. We were, we were first for the first ten or. 12 games I think of the season and then we just we we hit a slump and went down um very topsy-turvy but I'm confident that when when things kick off that we'll we'll have a good season um we've got all the ingredients we've got a lot of good players uh we've got a good coach we've got the best facilities the best stadium um we've got all the all the infrastructure all the ingredients that to have a good season and now it's just it's just up to us to sort of turn it on
2: As you said, um, being in Germany as as an Australian, both of you experienced that that atmosphere of really wanting to prove yourself and, you know, question marks as to what what are they talking about, you know, at the moment. But do you get the sense that being in Asia and also Japan in particular with the success of Ange Postacoglu last season, that there's a lot of respect for Australian footballers?
0: Yeah, I I would hope so. I think with what Ange has done and... and, uh... Over, over the last season is it shows that what Australians can do if given the opportunity um, obviously players like myself where of, of my generation sorry we're very lucky that we had you know Schwartz, we had Harry Kuhl Dukes we had all these players who went over and paved paved the way in Europe for us to get over there in the first place and I think the reputation of Australian players is is, is always good because of what the guys in front of us have done um, and now I guess it's it's incumbent on our generation, you know, the Matty Ryan, Aaron Moy, Tommy Rogic, these guys who are, who are doing it uh, in Europe, and then you've got uh, obviously myself in in Japan, um, a couple of other boys throughout Asia. Hopefully, we can sort of keep the reputation of Australian players. Um, we can keep it as high as as the guys before us have done.
1: What about you? What's your lot? I mean, I know it's hard. You're, you know, you're at uh, Nagoya. You don't want to say too much, but it, I, have you still aspirations possibly to go back to Europe one day? Um, it, or are you happy where you are? And do you see your future staying in Asia?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very happy here in Japan. It's for me. It's it was a, a massive blessing for me to come out here. Um, I wasn't sure. I, I I left every door open when I came out here. Um, whether that be one one season, whether it be two or three. Um, and then head back to Europe. I'm not too sure. Obviously, opportunities um, are not only hard to come by for, for all Australian players, but as a goalkeeper, um, you know, you, you look in the, the, you've got 18 in the Bundesliga, 20 positions in the, the Premier League. There's not a lot of positions for goalkeepers. You've got to really, um, I wouldn't say time your run, but you've got to, you've got to have a, a little bit of luck on your side, and there's got to be an opportunity for for you to go somewhere it's a bit difficult a bit different to say you know a midfielder or striker you can go to a club be one of six or seven other attackers and eventually work your way in as a keeper um, a hole opens up and that's where you go Um, so for me it's um, difficult to say I would go back to Europe but for right now I'm I'm extremely happy in Japan and and hope I can stay for, for many years to come.
2: Do you still keep in touch with what's going on in Australia? Because it was interesting yesterday, Schwartzy you in particular. You were talking on Optus about the concept of bringing in a second division um, in in Australia. Mitch, do you do you think that that's probably the next step in in being able to develop Australia into an incredibly competitive league?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's so many uh, possibilities of what what we can do in Australia. I think. Um, it, it's obviously a difficult time and, and I'm no expert to, to speak about these sort of things. It's, um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of layers that go into these sort of decisions, but if you can get a second second division, that would be the perfect. If you've got uh, promotion relegation, that's, that's huge. I, I think uh, I've been involved in it quite a few times, obviously, in Stuttgart and now in, in, in Japan. Um, that's, those, those games at the bottom of the table, when you're fighting for survival, there's, there's there's nothing bigger it's you you'd probably say there's more stress on those those games when you're fighting for survival than if you're at the top of the table and you are fighting to become the champion or something like that and i think if the australian fans got the opportunity to be a part of something like that it would be huge um i i hope that uh you know australian football can 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 grow and and, and evolve and develop and uh, i think that everybody's wish who has a stake in the game like like all of us we we want it to to grow and get bigger and hopefully that's the next step
1: for you um you're in japan you play calendar year so you play february through to uh what is it uh, october or so um are you are you a big fan of australia changing the league so the a-league coinciding with the MPLs becoming that in a calendar year
0: look like i said i'm no expert and there's a lot of layers into these decisions but i think that that could be a, a very good possibility i think I think one of the reasons we we went in the in the summer months was so we're not competing with rugby and or NRL and AFL. But why on earth should should we be scared of AFL and NRL? I think they're they're great sports in themselves. But uh, football fans we we're, we're everywhere. So if we play during the winter months, I think that's number one for the product for the game. It's so much better. I think. Um, obviously, for field players, uh, they can they can run run all day in the winter months. But even you know, delve a bit further, and you've got a, a nice slick pitch where where football can really go fast. And I think uh, in the summer months, on a hot, dry summer day, the ball's moving slow, the players are moving slow. It's, it's quite difficult to. To put out there a beautiful product when you're sort of battling against sort of uh, difficult conditions.
2: Before we let you go, Mitch, uh, two uh, two part here for you. One, are you a wine drinker? And two, I'm not. I'm not joking here. I've wanted to ask you this for years now. Uh, how do you do your hair? Because you know that this is. Uh, I, I mean. You, I mean, this is the first time that we're talking, but you know, I love I love my hair, um, and I've been a, a big fan of what you've been able to achieve up top for a long time now. So I'd oh love dear. you to talk oh you through dear. talk through your process. I'm
1: sorry, I'm sorry, Mitch. I, I feel really embarrassed. Sorry, I'm mate.
2: not. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you invited me on for this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, honestly, I, I don't mind a glass of red. Um, I'm a big fan. of My wife and I we have a glass every now and then. Uh, obviously during the season, uh, not so often, but but in the off season. Um, with their minds, uh, and, and their hair. Surprisingly, I don't go to a hairdresser. My, we, we bought a pair of clippers, and my wife just watches YouTube lessons, and we, we just have a crack. Um, <laughs> just put a bit of, we, we trial different products, and just just have a go. Um, but it's all, uh, we always fight, because I'm, I'm telling her, nah, you can't do it like that, you gotta do it like this, and we've got the laptop there, we're watching YouTube tutorials, like a pair of amateurs, but in the end we get there. <laughs> yeah, we're having a crack. <laughs>
1: That's brilliant. I just last question. Um, Bundesliga started last weekend or the weekend just gone now how have you found it and as a player obviously looking to restart in the next couple of weeks in the J-League how are you feeling about playing behind closed doors?
0: Yeah we, we played it friendly not too long ago against uh, behind closed doors It, it was, it's challenging I think like it, it, there's no point in us, in us whinging about it because it, it is what it is there's no way we can avoid it um, but as a player obviously the product on tv watching it it does feel like a training game it does look, uh, there's obviously no atmosphere so it's, it's less exciting to watch however i think for all of us we just want football back um and and it might take some time for us to get back to normal normal times but as a player it's, it's difficult you you have to make sure you're staying switched on and um you're focused because the fans do make the game and without them it's it is difficult to play in front of a, in a big stadium and there's absolute silence. You can hear each other talking and um, it does feel like an absolute pre-season friendly or a training game. But that's what we have to do at the moment and, and there's no complaint. I'm sure from all the players in Germany and, and from us when that when that, uh, that kicks off, it, it's just how we we're going to have to do it for the, for the short time.
1: And finally, will Dortmund win the Bundesliga title?
0: I hope so. They're four <laughs> points off. They've got Bayern in two weeks, so um fingers crossed they can they can get over the line
2: half time drinks here on the two shop reds and mark we touched on it at the start before we introduced michin but i want to know a little bit more about the wine that we're tasting because it's it feels uh, out of your comfort zone i mean i'm not sure if that's a, a, you know if that's a fair statement or not but it's it's an interesting blend
1: well, first and foremost, it's called The Barbarian, and I don't think I'm really much of a barbarian. But, nah. yeah, it is a little bit out of my com- uh, comfort zone. A Shiraz Merlot. It's Australian wine. Uh, Bob Burton's The Barbarian. Pretty interesting. When you read it, each vintage we like to make something a little unusual.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: usual something not entirely of this continent, which it certainly doesn't seem like it is. Shiraz became Australia's signature grape a long time ago, and with so many of us having European roots, we like to give a nod to tradition. So it, it really is up my alley, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it harvests, uh, the grape were harvest to express the wilder, unrestrained character of Shiraz, and the smoother, suave style of Merlot. The nose of oak's black and red, uh, red berry fruits, the palate is a real delight, with Shiraz contributing ripe, dark fruit characters and hints of pepper and spice, while Merlot offers red currant and plum, and a touch of cedary oak.
2: Now, while you might not be much of a Bavarian, you are a little bit of a Bavarian, so maybe that's what they're trying to get at there, and it well, makes I, sense. I'm
1: not a, I'm not, I'm not technically a, I'm not a Bavarian. No, just for but the can, for the joke, off. for the joke, you are. I, yeah, but I'm not. It doesn't work. The joke only works if it, if it, if it, you know. If what you're How saying is work? correct. Because I'm not Bavarian, am I? Well, a little bit, though. No, well, what do you mean little bit? I mean, Bavaria yeah. is a, a, an area of Germany, and I'm not from that part.
2: Hey, Mark, massive week for you in terms of looking back, reminiscing, because uh, there are a few, I mean, uh, milestones, probably not the big, uh, the right word, but certainly some, some major moments in your club career that, that would have happened 15 years ago and, and 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, 15 years ago, um, just the other day, was when uh, Middlesbrough, we were played away to Manchester City, last game of the season, and it was a game that basically came down to... It was a playoff. It was a playoff for European place. And um, funny enough, Danny Mills was... I played with Danny Mills at Middlesbrough, um, but he was, at the time, he was still a Manchester City player, and he wasn't in the day squad, but he was. he's recently been telling the story again, and it, and it kind of obviously... Um, it, 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 it sort of reminded me and, and I started to think about the various situations that unfolded on that particular day and the one thing obviously that pops out in everyone's head on that day was obviously we, we drew 1-1, one, one, we qualified for Europe, but it was more about the decision making of Stuart Pearce and that was bringing David James out of, out, out of goal, giving him a number one shirt as an outfielder and putting Nicky Weaver in goal, leaving John Nackham on the bench who was like a five million pound striker at the time not bringing him on. They needed to win the game. We only needed a draw. And he puts he sticks David James up front because he just wanted to try something different and confuse uh, the rest of us. I mean, he definitely, definitely confused people and definitely confused David James, I think, for that matter. I mean, I don't think there was a player on the pitch, other than me probably, that he didn't kick and foul against. Um, and uh, we were delighted as, 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 a, as, as a team. We were delighted when we saw um, that David James was coming up front rather than uh, John Mackham. So it was a bizarre, a bizarre afternoon and obviously ended in a very um, tense situation coming down to a penalty that was awarded to to Manchester City. It was almost the last kick of the game and um, you know I, I, I saved it. Robbie Fowler uh, was the guy who was taking the, the penalty kick and he actually owes me because I saved his penalty which meant that Manchester City didn't qualify for Europe which in turn meant he was to leave Manchester City and re-signed for Liverpool. So nice. had they have qualified for Europe, the likelihood is he would have stayed at Manchester City and never resigned for Liverpool. So he has to thank me for that.
2: Well, there you go, Robbie Fowler. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes, um, exactly. One of the great things about that moment was uh, watching it back and the commentary. The commentary is outstanding. So <laughs> they've called you. So firstly, it's get in, you big Aussie, um, which is a, a huge compliment. Dan, I'd love to get your thoughts on what what happened next. He said, the biggest Australian hero since Ned Kelly. Thoughts? Um,
1: Well, firstly, uh, unfortunately the commentator is no longer with us. He he passed away from cancer uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Lovely, lovely guy uh, he was. And uh, a a, a through and through Middlesbrough fan and just followed the club, you know, literally from from a very young age um, and loved by everyone around the area. And... uh, he, he he was always full of life always uh, very very enthusiastic and he i remember speaking to him about it on numerous occasions post it and he just said it was the only thing i could think of it's the only famous australian i could think of well infamous australian and that's why he said it he just it was at a it was a moment it was the instant where obviously something happened he needed to come up with with a saying and that's what he spurted out and it was hilarious it's you know it's become an ongoing uh, um, iconic moment really uh, oh, for, for, for most middlesbrough fans yeah
2: absolutely and it's just interesting to know where where people from you know from England where their minds will go to in terms of Australian pop culture you know first person you think of you know it's not out from home and away it's it's Ned Kelly interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, how do, you, how do you have said someone like
2: Kylie or. Uh, I don't <laughs> the know, biggest um... Australian hero since Kylie
1: Minogue? <laughs> yeah, I would have probably gone, yeah, okay, I get it, maybe, you know. Yeah. Paul Hogan, maybe, yeah. you know, but, you know, Ned Kelly? Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crocodile Dundee, that could have been a good one. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Paul Hogan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No,
2: there's some good ones. And, and then the other memory, um, I believe, was, was 10 years ago that happened um, to this date last week with Fulham. Yeah, it was. We got to a well Europa League final, so European
1: Cup final. First one in the club's history. Um, an amazing, amazing experience and journey and you know a lot of memories have been provoked over the last couple of weeks because of various anniversaries, 10 years of the game against Juve, which has kind of gone down as one of the most iconic games in, in Fulham's history. Um, the way we came back in the return leg at Craven Cottage to knock out you know the, the mighty Juve um which on paper we had no right to do but you know it was also that that kind of start, started a revolution at, at Juve i think it was their worst it was their, one of their worst seasons in a long long time they finished 7th in the se- in the, in the league that year and from that moment onwards they did a complete rethink of the way that the club was run and they've turned it around, obviously, and become this this powerhouse of world football again. Um, but it was an amazing, uh, amazing uh, journey. You know, it's, so many stories, so many different adventures. Whether you know from beating Shakhtar Donetsk, who goes down as one of the, the, the best teams I've ever played against, um, to you know beating uh, German current German champions in Wolfsburg and and, and and Hamburg, who were playing for a place in 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 the final and their own in their own stadium. Um, to coming up against the might of Let's Go Madrid which you know Aguero Forland a herring goal Um, you know amazing memories and and sometimes you have to pinch yourself the fact that someone like Fulham we found ourselves in in a major European Cup final like like with Middlesbrough, it was four years Four years before that I was in a cup final with Middlesbrough. So to think that Middlesbrough, little Middlesbrough and little Fulham were in European cup finals is pretty surreal.
2: It must have been such an exciting atmosphere because one of my, my close friends here who's from Australia but um, has been living in London for about 15 years, he's a mad West Ham fan but he distinctly remembers going to a lot of Fulham games during that cup run and I suppose... I mean, it might be a little different here because obviously, if you're born and raised in England and you've you've got really strong ties to a team, I'm not sure you'll you know go to to another team to to watch them succeed. But from an Australian's perspective, you know, he loved West Ham, but it was just exciting to be in and around that atmosphere. And and Craven Cottage, I've only been once. Unfortunately, it didn't feel as good because they've um, the Riverside Stand uh, has been knocked down for renovations. But you can tell. Especially on a European night, geez, that place—that place would have rocked. It would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very
1: special. I mean, I played it—you know—in a, new, a newer stadium, a new design stadium in Middlesbrough, and, and at the Riverside at time of a European run, two comebacks in a quarterfinals and a semi-final at home, and again, that was an amazing experience, amazing atmosphere, thirty-five thousand people packed to the rafters, people going mad, and and it was incredible. Craven Cottage, <clears throat> by the Thames. You know, twenty four, twenty five thousand people in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in a, an iconic stadium that will never be built out, other than part of the side of the stand which they're doing, like you said, the riverside. They're rebuilding. They're building a new stand. But when you talk about uh, the Johnny Haynes stand, the cottage itself, it, it's it's picturesque. It's amazing. Old world meeting the new world in terms of playing European football in a cup final was was special as well you know, on a different level. It was just. Very, very different. So many parallels, but also very, very different in so many other ways. Um, it's an amazing place to go, and Fulham are one of those clubs even in that particular year, and I think in general they they kind of people love to also sort of follow Fulham as their second club. Other than probably QPR fans, there's no one else really out there. I don't think uh, maybe Brentford, but that don't really dislike. Even I mean, Chelsea fans don't dislike Fulham. They just see him as. A, a, you know, a neighbour that is Fulham like to see them as their main rival, but realistically, we've never been on the same level. You know, in terms of, of competitiveness. So Chelsea, have, have, I think, the relationship is, is generally a pretty friendly one. Um, so Fulham tend to be a lot, a lot of people's second team. And I remember that European run. Uh, there wasn't a person that I ever came across, didn't matter who they supported, that didn't want Fulham to have a successful season and a good run in the European Cup competition. And that was, again, they added to it. And and where Fulham is, there's so many Aussies that came to Fulham games. I remember my time at at Fulham, we had time and time again, the amount of of football teams that I met that came from Australia that either come to the training ground post a match, I'd meet them outside the stadium, was insane. The amount of Aussie fans that came to games were, were incredible. And it was very, very special for so many reasons.
2: So, Mark, K-League back in action. I'm not sure about you, but I've firmly adopted a team, and that is, of course, the mighty Suwon Blue Wings, um, and I've been learning a lot about them. Um, You know, of course, Adam Taggart plays there, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for me to go for them. But I've also really tapped into things like their rivals. Uh, So their major rivalry is with FC Seoul, and, you know, I hate them. My blood boils when when I see them play but there was an interesting moment which we saw come out of the weekend with FC Seoul and I don't know how to to put this uh you know in the right way but essentially um in the Bundesliga um we saw I think it was um Mönchengladbach was it that had uh, fake uh, fake fans I believe or cut out of fans uh, yes. but FC Seoul went through a different route and had adult uh, mannequins is probably the way that you describe it one of no, the, no, the explain, weirdest explain moments explain exactly what yeah. explain what
1: they are come on
2: sex oh, dolls, they exactly they're, sex dolls they're, they're sex dolls I um, think. Yeah. And, and it's probably the weirdest thing we've seen to come out of, of this coronavirus period it was bizarre looking at them so I want to know did they specifically order those in yeah or
1: have they have come from someone's stash I'm just well, asking for a friend yeah. I'm also asking for a friend what are they doing with them afterwards
2: you're a sicko, but it's a valid question. I'd love to know. Um, let's hope it was mass produced for the occasion. I, I don't my, my, mind you. My, my friend, I'm asking for is you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, uh, as a as a lifelong Blue Wings fan, though, I must say, uh, looking at what FC Soul have done there, interesting decision. I mean, it, it from afar looked good. You know, we, we had a we had a full crowd, um, so that was that was positive.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah. the, the problem was they were, they were pretty uh, emotionless. They didn't really react to, to any goals going no. in. That was a little bit disappointing. However, under the circumstances, it's acceptable. I have to say, though, um, I, I've been torn, really, uh, between who I should support. You know, and I, I found myself trying to, to pick between a few of, of, the, of the different options. Uh, but I'm going to go with John Book. And and not because they are reigning champions. They've won it three t- the last three years in a row or anything like that. Jose Morales, the, the manager, he was a first-team coach at Chelsea when I first signed for him. Lovely, lovely guy. Um, great to see him doing really well. And also, another reason, big reason, is Lee Dong-Gook playing for them. You know, 41 years old. Incredible. Hats off to him as an outfield player to do so. Scored the winning goal for them in the opening uh, round since since the restart. Um, and I felt for him massively when he was at Middlesbrough. and he had a really really rough run, really rough time there. but great to have seen how well he's been doing in the J league. Uh, in the K League. Uh,
2: and Mark, before we uh, wrap things up here on the two sharp Reds, it's been announced just before we came uh, to recording this podcast uh, UK time that the Scottish Premier League has been cancelled. Um, but not only has it been cancelled or null and void, they have awarded Celtic uh, the championship. But they've also relegated Hearts, which has been the first, you know, that we've seen in terms of teams in and around European football that have made that really tough decision to also relegate a team. Because I suppose it's only fair if you can assume a team's going to win the league, I suppose, by virtue, you then have to assume that a team could be relegated. But from a Hearts perspective, uh, I, I dare say they've got a few broken ones.
1: Yeah, no, no, listen, it's obviously, it's disappointing. It's, it's ha- heartbreaking for them.
2: Um, Did you not hear my, vo- joke, my intro joke? You clearly no, weren't I listening wanted, to me then.
1: No, I was listening to you, but I just wanted to, to make sure that uh, everybody heard it. Okay, um, sure. And, and, and if they didn't hear it, then they'll think that I'd be accredited Yeah it, exactly. So yeah, okay, fair enough. You just never know. You yeah. never know. <laughs> listen, they, they are bottom of the table, right? They're, they're four points adrift, and there's a great argument to say listen, they could fight their way out of it teams have done it in the past so it wouldn't be the first time but they are in a very, very difficult position and once they make that decision they draw a line and they say that's it, You know, nothing's going to change I mean the benefit they've got is there are two teams that have a game fewer than the rest but it's not going to make any difference I mean, one is Rangers they can't catch Celtic anyway it's impossible for them to do so. I mean, they're 13 points behind them. So even if they were to win it, and the other team is St. Johnson, so they would have had to play against each other. St. Johnson, yes, could move up if they were to win. They'd finish. They'd end up in a fifth position. But as far as I'm understanding, I don't think that gives them any any qualification for European football. So it's it's, it's really incidental. Um, so I think it was it was a relatively easy decision to make on footballing on on, on the terms of in the table like the bigger issue you've got is say if you look at the Premier League and you've got Aston Villa in a relegation position that have one game fewer than the teams around them and that's where it becomes a lot more complicated I believe Um, so either way you know it's heartbreaking I think for everyone it's difficult to to accept for anyone not being able to fulfil a season not being able to give yourself the maximum opportunity to get yourselves out of trouble Um, for the other teams they must be delighted
2: so Mark it's time to wrap things up unfortunately for another week here on the Two Shut Reds I have thoroughly enjoyed of course uh, as to your recommendation the Bob Burton's Barbarian Australian Shirazmer Low Mix uh, have you got mixed feelings towards it or are you pretty certain that, that this is the sort of wine for you going forwards
1: no, I, I like it. I would. I would definitely drink this again. Which, uh, to be fair, I am. This is my second bottle, so sorry. yes. <laughs> so <laughs> so just, answer your question. <laughs> to answer your question. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love. I love the connection of the European roots. You know, the, the fact that you know. Obviously, we know that Merlot is 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 a very very uh, popular wine. Sorry, Merlot. A, a Shiraz is associated with Australian wine. It's it's, a, it's you know it's it's pretty much. It's it's the Premier League in Australia, isn't it? Yeah. It's the the Premier League wine uh, of Australian wine, the Shiraz. That's what Australian wine is renowned for. Um, but I like I like the the smoothness and the suaveness of the uh, of the of the Merlot that's added to it. So it takes a bit off takes a bit off the edge, the harshness mm. and the and the fullness of the Shiraz. Um, so I, I I like the mix. You know, you still got that full bodied. You still got a very strong flavour and a strong. Uh, Taste in the palate,
2: but there's a there's a there's a smoothness to it as well, which I like. So, of course, here on the two sharp reds, we do like to compare our bottle of wine to a player, past or present, or of course, a, a manager. Uh, Mark, would you like to go first, or would you like me to take the lead this time?
1: Yeah, no, I I, I want to go first because it, it just you know if I look at it, I read about uh, how the wine is described. Um, you know, it's a, it's an unrestrained character of Shiraz and the smoother, suave style of Merlot. And it really, what caught me there was the unrestrained character. And the fact that the K-League started last weekend, I mentioned John Book's my team, ex-teammate playing there, uh, Lee Dong-Gook. If anyone's done any research on Lee Dong-Gook, you'll know that he has a history of being a little bit of a, a bad boy at times and generally likes a, likes a beer. And there's nothing wrong with that. But more often than not, has gotten him in a little bit of trouble. Um... Someone that, you know, seems to be uh, not your typical typical Korean kind of mentality where you expect them to be very well disciplined, stick to the rules, and uh, not really lift their head above the water too much. And Lee Dong-gook is certainly one that uh, likes to push the boundaries a little bit. So he's, he's pretty unrestrained, isn't he? Brilliant. And uh, I think it, it, it really suits him. You know, it's got that harshness, that full body, that wildness to it. But then there's got, he has got a smoother and a more, uh, I would say, a, a softer side to him, having met him and knowing what he's like as a person. So Lee Dong Gook, mate, that's, that's who it is.
2: That's your most well-rounded comparison. You almost ticked everything off to do with the wine compared to a player. Excellent work.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, listen, I was waiting for this day. It's yeah. taken me a long time to get there, but finally I've, I've arrived.
2: Well, you've put me under pressure. I would have loved to have gone first now looking back. Um, but there is a player that comes to mind, and, and in particular, I don't think I would think of this player if it was just a Merlot or if it was just a Shiraz. And I think given its mix is why. His personality uh, and his style and his flair... Uh, certainly for his position, um, I think is incredible. But it's the mix of two completely different, almost, some would say, conflicting flavours. Um, maybe not conflicting, but certainly different. And it's being able to be versatile, uh, unpredictable. And th- and that, for me, is... It's, it's an Alaba wine. You know, currently playing centre-back, has been left-back for many years for Bayern, but also playing in, in uh, central midfield for Austria and and so with that yeah i i think that he sort of sums that nice balance up of of you know as soon as you taste it you think oh yeah possibly yeah that's a shiraz but as he said then the merlot kind of takes the edge off or the harshness off and and sort of keeps you guessing and you kind of can't can't pin the wine down certainly can't pin this guy's position down either
1: Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, you could have also gone for Alfonso Davies. Um, yep. He's another player that you don't quite really can pin down his position. But no, no I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, um, but there are a few Alaba that you
2: know. I, there were there were lots. Yeah, you know, I was going to think uh, John O'Shea going into to yeah. goals as well. Uh, See,
1: I would probably say that's more of a John O'Shea wine. Than really, it would
2: be an Alaba.
1: Yeah, because Al- Alaba is world class. Let's be honest; he's right up there. Do you not think he's, the he's touching... the
2: barbarians
1: are world class wine? Really? No, I wouldn't say it's a world-class wine, no. No, it's a, it's a good wine. I really like it. So what are you trying to say, say about John O'Shea? That is a, he was a good player, yeah. a good utility player, a good all-round yeah. player, great to have in your team. That's why also one of the reasons why he was at Manchester United for so long and was very successful there, because he was a great utility player, he was a good guy, really good athlete,
2: and uh, a very good professional. The Swiss Army knife, as some would say.
1: Possibly. Yeah. yeah it could quite well be. Be cold, be cold. Without being Swiss without being Swiss
2: that's exactly right hey Mark thank you for another enjoyable episode of the Two Sharp Reds enjoy the rest of your Bob Burton's Barbarian Jeez, that's a bit of a handful um,
1: I, I was just about to say could you go the one again the, the
2: Bob Burton's Barbarian Australian Shiraz Merlot there you go bang Bob Burton's, Bob, Bob Burton's Barbarian yep Bob Burton's Barbarian. Barbarian or Mark Schwartz <laughs> Mark Schwartz of the Bavarian <laughs> that's it so you, you, you struggled with the easier one, one yeah. you should know more that's a lot
1: easier you say every week but obviously not I'll get
2: Thanks. there mate I'll get there Um, but thank you Arnold appreciate it Uh, and look forward to to seeing you again same time same place and hopefully be one week closer to sharing that beautiful bottle bottle of mother's milk uh, in person and not over not over Zoom
1: let's hope it happens sooner rather than later because I'm in fear that you are going to be too tempted and are going to break it open that Trump. bottle and, and yeah. have a couple of, uh, well, guzzles of it, yeah. which won't last very long.
2: Put a bit of cranberry juice in like you would with a kid, as a kid. You go, no, nah, what are you talking about? I haven't opened it. So... Uh,
1: that, that explains a lot for you, mate. Yeah. You've obviously had way, way too much wine and not enough cranberry juice yeah, in there.
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: Hold up.